you on Curiosity Stream. We've walked with dinosaurs. We've explored our prehistoric planet, and we were always told the same story. Extinction came from the sky. But what if dinosaurs survived? Amazing Dino World 2. Watch it now on Curiosity Stream. With monthly, annual, and bundle plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. Welcome, friends, to this episode of Israel, Why is the Middle East Important? You know, as Neil and I look at the times we're in, we're we're asking, is it the end of the beginning or is it the beginning of the end? God, who is the Alpha and the Omega, or the beginning and the end, sees it all. And he sees it all on both ends. He has given us a document, his story, for us, the Bible, the book to learn about him, who is the beginning and the end. So, are the times we're in the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end? Yes, they are. Please check us out on Spreaker.com. Israel, why is the Middle East important? That's Israel, why is the Middle East important? You can also find us anywhere great podcasts can be found. Israel, why is the Middle East important? Now, we said at the outset of this journey that we would bring current events into our discussion based on how they can be understood in the light of the question we're asking, which is, why is the Middle East important? Last time we finished, we talked about the idea that this whole thing, at its core, is spiritual. God is spirit, and he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. He breathes the spirit of life into each one of us at conception. The image and likeness of God is placed on us and in us. And the Spirit of the Lord created and creates this biosphere, which Neil likes to call God's snow globe, into into existence. And indeed, the entire universe appeared in an instant. We also introduced the idea that God has a plan, and he's working his plan. And in the second part of today's episode... We'll be talking about the four most important parts, actually the five most important parts of that plan. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. We spoke about Adam last time as part of the beginning of the plan. But in keeping with our core question, there are some things going on in the Middle East right now. And we decided to bring them in today. So, Neil, I have a list of some things which are current events, and I think you may have some as well. There are some things happening that are just too amazing to ignore. And they prove the point that Israel and the Middle East are important for Christians to understand. So, the the topics that I I brought uh, up in in my looking at this, I, I look at Iran and Israel and how that's working. I looked at the third temple or the next temple and the temple mount. Now, Neil, I understand that there are meticulous preparations being made to build some sort of temple in Israel. What's going on there? Well, the construction of our uh, third temple is is known is uh, a topic, Jeff, that is 
incredibly in-depth. However, as I've said to you before and we've discussed, any time any topic is in the sort of mainstay of discussion, Mm. it is significant and it is prophetic. So in other words, Jeff, it doesn't mean that any topic that you and I discuss, we come to the right conclusion or we even want to discuss it or fully comprehend it. But any time a topic is talked about by more than a fringe element, it's mm. in the public discussion. It's mm. an accepted yeah. topic that you is important. You said that to me the other day, and I remember it because it's so powerful. You said that we can go right past it because it's just like obvious. You know, it's just like is a statement and nobody pays any attention to it. But you're saying, no, 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 no. That's prophecy being spoken right there. Anytime you are just even picking up what people are talking about in passing, mm-hmm. you can pay attention if you've heard it before, if it's in the mainstay. And you can think of examples where in times past, if anybody talked about a topic, mm. let's just say the third temple. Mm. Okay, you might get a person or two who would say, oh, I know something about it or I read something. But today, that topic specifically, the third temple, yeah, the third is temple. not only being discussed among you and I, yeah. but it is among secular who don't want it. It is among Christians who have a number of beliefs on what that actually is, mm-hmm. as well as <laughs> the Jews and the Israelis. It is a topic in the mainstay. And, and it's buzzing like crazy. There, there's all kinds of opinions. There's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's people that love it. There's people that hate it. There's people that don't, don't care about it. But I'm betting right now, I'm betting right now that there's a percentage of people listening to this broadcast right now who are saying, temple? What are you kidding? What do we need a temple for? Right, correct. I'm sure that's the case, even though we have predominantly and unabashedly have said we know our audience is a Christian audience, so we don't have to lay the complete foundation. They've read the documents, presumably, we would assume. And they can see the multiple references to temples in past, first and second temple, future temples, two yet to be built, temples of, as Jesus said, spiritually, you are a form of a temple once you are born again, as it were. And the literal temple that culminates with a number of things. Jesus himself referencing these things would happen in the temple. Sacrifices, an abomination yet to come, meaning uh, another character who would seek to do away with God's plan. So he's talking about the Antichrist, right? Uh, Is that right? Well, in in some of those cases, that's exactly right. But he's saying it in the context, Jeff, as if Jesus himself was telling his disciples a fact. I don't have to rehash it. There will be a temple, a physical building, not just spiritualized. That's my point. So this guy will be seated up in the temple. Correct. This Antichrist will be seated in the temple. So there has to be a temple. So there has to be a temple. (laughs) And the fact of the matter is... Not only did Jesus give it as a, as a given, a matter yeah. of fact, everybody yeah. knows this. Yeah. In other words, no sense in me elaborating. Yeah. We all know this is fact. Yeah. He referenced as a proof text the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is an amazing book, of course, because mm. it's so specifically mm. prophetic. in mm. dates, times, numbers, events, kingdoms, mm. uh, and the temple. Mm. 
So he said, as Daniel said, and he referenced this abomination of desolation that will occur in the temple, and Daniel said, and Jesus, that a number of things would occur in that temple. There would be a priesthood, obviously, a given, don't even need to talk about it, so a priesthood, a functioning physical place, it has to be in the right location, cannot be in just any arbitrary spot. Not going to be in Cleveland. Not going to be in Cleveland. No. And the sacrifices will stop. Oh, my goodness. Now, this gives some pause, too, because it's referencing, hearkening back to the sacrificial system. And Jesus, looking forward prophetically, not only said there'd be a temple, but there would be, like I said, the priesthood and the sacrificial system of which this anti-Messiah, whom the, in Jewish literature is called Armelius, they actually named him, mm. Uh, so it's not just a type or a mythical allegorical figure of evil. It is embodied in a personhood, does a certain act or acts in the temple. So given all that, we know there is a temple. Today we have upheaval. Mm, interesting. So we, we know that we have to have a temple for there to be an Antichrist sitting on the, on the seat in the temple. And that would, uh, is that the judgment seat? Would that be the judgment seat in the temple? Well, I think it's fairly unclear what exactly that is. I don't know if there's a judgment seat in the temple or not per se. There could be. Uh, Solomon seemed to have some kind of a, a, a judgment seat there. Um, but what we do know is he performs some acts or actions of some type that are called abominable. Oh, there you and go. it causes okay. destruction, desolation, yeah. and it is antithetical. It is the anti of God. It is the anti-Messiah that he does these things. But again, all hearkening back to, wow, in all this chaos, there is a physical building. Yeah. How yeah. does that happen? Yeah. So, so there are, we know right now, you know, and you've told me about this, there are meticulous preparations being made by Orthodox Jews in Israel right now to gather all of the implements and all of the... This is all being... And it's all being created as we speak currently. There are so many preparations both in people's mindset, if you will, which is supernatural, again, spiritual, as well as physical plans being made and drawn up that, yes, actually you can go to Jerusalem, which I have, and you can go to... Uh, the actual museum, if you will, it's like a museum, where they show you these temple instruments that are being recreated for the uh, temple uh, duties that the priests will perform, the Levites and the priests at the temple. So yes, the clothing, the utensils, uh, basically they're looking for everything that will be necessary to have a fully functioning what we call the third temple. The third temple. So uh, it, 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 it challenges my thinking uh, to, to, to hear this because as I, you know, something is driving them. These people that are constructing and building and, and, and taking such meticulous time and such wonderful care and actually love, really, it's love, that that, that stuff doesn't happen you know, on a weekend uh, uh, project, right? I mean, you you, you have to de- you have to be dedicated to making that happen. And dedication like that, it's like I'm thinking right now about Nehemiah and the wall, right? 
He couldn't not build, he couldn't not do it. He was driven. Once God said go, he had to go. He has had to go. And so I'm thinking that kind of thing, that these people over there, you know, it's, it's like thinking about Jesus. They're either complete idiots or God is guiding them. God is driving them. And I don't think you can produce beautiful, wonderful things uh, if God isn't driving you because God is the source of everything that's beautiful. Right. Well, I agree with that, Jeff. And, of course, the, 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 the fact is, as you said you were stunned by or surprised by or in awe of, is that men from all different sort of walks, mm. even secular people, it is even secular it is in the discussion, the normal wow. discussion of people. It is in the Knesset, the uh, Israeli government, the legislature, yeah. that the members of the Knesset mm-hmm. are openly discussing and talking about construction of the temple. Wow. That we have to do this. Now, so you have religious people of various stripes and types mm-hmm. who, of course, the old joke, 10 Jews... 15 opinions or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. And we could say that about everybody. But yeah. that what's driving them, yes, in every epoch of mankind, there is an overarching, if you read history, there's an overarching movement for something to occur. And within each epoch, there are leaders. Mm-hmm. There are men or women. There are people who are sort of ahead of the the thrust, if you will, who are going to spearhead it. I mean, think, for instance, real quickly, just Martin Luther. Well, he was not the first person to say, uh, I have a problem with the religious um, uh, interpretations and so on of the day, but it culminated in him. In that same way, there are these people who are being moved, but there are leaders of this movement who are working diligently and What's happening is the Spirit of God is so enlivened them that they are being motivated by the Word of God that says we are in the land, which is an apocryphal prophetic uh, uh, statements throughout the Bible, old and new, right? It's all consistent. There's no inconsistency. It's one book. Yeah. And... There must be a temple, because as you mentioned, you brought up Nehemiah. He could not do it. Well, Nehemiah was saying, we're back in the land after our Babylonian captivity of 70 years, as prophesied by Jeremiah Mm -hmm. the prophet, Mm -hmm. for all kinds of reasons. One, God ordained a seven-year cycle of rest, and we didn't do it, and so therefore we're going to get back in sync timeline-wise, if you will, with God's plan. We're going to take a 70-year timeout. But Nehemiah, through Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, they all played a part. He could not do it. Well, he said, wait a minute, we are back in the land. There must be a temple. So while that was an epoch, that was a movement, people were aware of it, Nehemiah was leading the charge. And in our day, for a third temple, both Christians and Jews are leading the charge saying, there must be a temple. There must be. It's got to be, or it's inconsistent with the word. And as we've spoken before, Jeff, if in fact there are no Jews in the land, if in fact there is no Jerusalem in control of Jews, if in fact there is no temple mount wherein the Jews can have a third temple, none of the plans of God can occur. 
So that is the actual battle. That is what you're sensing when you sense this is a spiritual occurrence and how is it moving the people? What is happening here? So, Neil, you mentioned before that Jesus makes reference to the temple. Correct. Right? And there are those amongst us, and I'm talking about Christians, there are those amongst us, and we talked about this in episode one, who think that uh, there are other places in the world and there are, and, and that, that have taken the place of that temple, right? We don't need that temple anymore because we have a new uh, religion, new faith. It's all been replaced. We talked about replacement theology. And one of those places is Rome. Right, well, and I don't want to—I don't want to get into sure. anything about Catholicism at right. all. But there are people who believe that that's, you know, the basilica in Rome where the Pope sits. That's it. Correct. And and that is. Uh, an Looking to give back this holiday season? Donate to the Army Historical Foundation. For 40 years, the Army Historical Foundation has ensured our nation never forgets the sacrifices of those who serve. As the Army's nonprofit partner, the Foundation constructed the National Museum of the United States Army. The Foundation's work also extends beyond the museum's walls, restoring artifacts, touring historic battlefields, and remembering all we owe to America's Army veterans. Donate today at ArmyHistory.org. Discover, this is Daniela. Hi, it's Jennifer Coolidge. I just want to thank you for making me feel so special. I earned cash back on debit for my dinner party groceries. That's great. But with Discover Cashback Debit, we give everyone cash back on everyday purchases. Anything else I can help you with? Do you like asparagus and mushroom sorbet? I've got leftovers. Introducing Discover Cashback Debit, a checking account with cash back. It pays to discover. Eligibility in terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC interpretation of the Bible, not what the Bible says. And here, in in this discussion, we first go by what the Bible says, and then we try to figure out what that means, and then we try to do what that is. Right. We don't reinvent what the Bible means. We try to interpret it based on what it actually says. Correct. And that's how we are. And so we're not going to go there, even though there are people who have gone there, and they have been and they believe faithfully that that's true, but you have to argue with the Bible to believe that. And I just want to bring that up because we did talk about replacement theology. So we're talking about something that is in the book that Jesus said, as I just said a second ago. Jesus references the temple, and he references the Antichrist seated in the temple. And all kinds of desolation and abomination happening as a result of the Antichrist ruling in the temple. And we'll all be deceived about that, and we'll all be we'll all buy into it, and it'll happen quote unquote legally, right? It won't be a revolution. All of a sudden there'll be this person that we all think is amazing, and he'll get placed there and they'll build that temple and he'll be the, he'll be in charge. Got, we have a ways to go before that happens. But it's amazing, and it all revolves around the fact that there actually is and will be a temple. Right, and the fact is, as you just said about replacement, some of that is uh, trying to harmonize these seemingly incongruent passages of Scripture. So right. it can be with people with good hearts who just don't understand how it works. Mm-hmm. I think the safest bet and where it seems like, for me at least, where a lot of uh, 
people who hold these documents as inspired word of God mm-hmm. are saying things like, I have to reevaluate the whole context of how these documents may in fact fit together. Mm. Because during this two-day period, I call it the two days because you and I have discussed before mm. the 6,000-year plan of God, but the Bible calls it the time of the Gentiles. During this time, there has been a certain understanding, if you will, that is incomplete. Of course, because Messiah hasn't made all things known yet. We are all incomplete as far as that goes. But it seems like as we get nearer the completion, the redemption, and Messiah makes all things known, we are getting more and more insight and things are being reshuffled and making us rethink what we thought we once knew. Part of that is if, how can... If, if, yeah, we're, if we're willing to do so. It's very difficult. <laughs> if we're and willing to rethink. It's very difficult yeah. because we referenced before as well the whole concept of the uh, the law of first learned. Mm-hmm. What were you taught first? Mm-hmm. What made sense at that time? Mm-hmm. So for our discussion right now, discussing this whole issue of temple, mm-hmm. a building mm-hmm. that some people may have an aversion to for whatever reasons, religious or whatever... The fact is, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that there will be a temple. Now, we don't want to focus on the Antichrist, of course, but he's part of that. But we just use that example for showing that Jesus, in that Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, when asked what would be the signs of the times, the end of times, he went on and he discussed it in depth. And one of the things, without elaborating at all, was just the fact, and and in the temple, as if everybody knows this. Of course, in the temple. That's significant. Well, for Christians, we also have to just say, if Jesus said it so matter-of-fact and didn't elaborate, it was just a given. Mm-hmm. And part of that was, yes, there, the Antichrist will do something in the temple. That's fine, but that's not the end of the story. Of course, the temple is far more than that, and it is God's temple. Jeff, you also mentioned something about we have a ways to go, and I would just like to say none of us know when, mm-hmm. how. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting closer, so we see it being set up. As we said, they're discussing it. There's political things happening. There's uh, religious things happening. There is a union of Christians and Jews who want things to happen. However, as you and I discussed uh, off the record, as it were, a few times, if you think about what some people think could constitute a temple Mm -hmm. there's a lot of issues there Mm -hmm. lots of disagreement Mm -hmm. lots of problems with building or having a temple Mm -hmm. but if you say okay god told moses to build the tent the mishkan Mm -hmm. the traveling tabernacle tent of meeting yes indeed Mm -hmm. if you build it do it exactly as you see the pattern in heaven Mm. whoa Now, that's significant. I want it to look exactly like you're seeing it here. Mm. So that's significant. Mm. It's, it's, it's a physical place. It's a physical thing manifested in heaven and on earth. All right. But, Jeff, we go back to saying, well, what would that look like? Well, if all that was basically, I mean, it's far more elaborate than this, the Mishkan. But if you said a tent, a covering, is all we need with a few kosher, if you will, uh, types and styles of coverings and so on in correct place and it, it can get quite detailed all I need is a fairly non-significant structure to be called the temple 
Jeff, if all it were is a tent, I could go to my local uh, uh, camping store. I could buy a Coleman tent. Obviously, this wouldn't work. I could march up to the Temple Mount, set it up, and say, let's start. But in effect, it could be almost that easy in that I don't have to have this elaborate first temple, second temple edifice yet, although I think that will happen. But to start, that could literally be tomorrow. Mm. Now, what would that cause? Well, we may or may not get into it, but there are all kinds of prophetic wars that go on in this chaos for the temple because, Jeff, think about this. If, in fact, If, in fact, the temple is so significant, and if, in fact, it is this cosmic warfare happening in the spirit realm, which none of us completely understand, we read about it, but it makes no sense. And it does involve Persia, or present-day Iran. If there is this warfare, and if there is a real entity and being who is against this plan of God, and if the temple is so significant to the culmination of this plan... What kind of warfare and opposition do you think he would inspire among his followers Hmm. to oppose that plan? Hmm. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Well, it's a, it's a, the focus that I I want the the listeners right now to, to grasp is we're talking about the fact that in present day Israel, there are meticulous preparations being made. People are being led by the Holy Spirit. They are dedicated to excellence and beauty. And they're building the elements of a new temple. Right. And Jesus said that this would be, and Jesus said it would occur. And that's an interesting fact, ladies and gentlemen, is it not? It's a current event, current day, interesting fact that that's what's going on. Now, Neil, you just brought up Iran. So what's going on right now in the world between... I, I, I have to look for it in the news because the current, the current news in, in America is all about a pandemic. So it's being lost, but it's there. But you have to look for it. But something is going on between Iran and Israel, right? Oh, very much so. What, what, and, and, and how does that relate? You, you briefly mentioned it. How does it relate to uh, this, this, this uh, fact of Israel and the end times? What, what, what's, what's going on there? Right. Well, nothing, <clears throat> nothing is uh, completely an episode on its own. In other words, as we discussed before, everything is interrelated. Mm -hmm. So if, in fact, what we are basically focusing on right this minute, Mm -hmm. the indicia Mm -hmm. of the temple, that Mm -hmm. indicia, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And the opposition there, too, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So in Scripture throughout, there are many references to wars, past and future, Mm -hmm. and sometimes one in the same. Mm -hmm. Jeff, in any discussion of prophecy, if you will, especially apocalyptic prophecy. One of the main one of the main themes one must always remember is the wisest man who ever lived wrote a book. It's in our Bible. And one of the main takeaways that he wrote is there is nothing new under the sun. Yeah. And we say that sometimes, it's even in songs, right? 
uh, a famous old song of our generation, if you will. But that is significant for all prophetic events because prophecy is history fulfilled or it is history to be fulfilled, but it's interrelated, okay? So we see these types, we see these pictures, we see these shadows of things to come, and some people will read that and say, oh, well, that was fulfilled then, so it's over. Oh, that guy was this, and so that's over. But the funny thing about prophecy in the Bible throughout Old and New is it seems to go back and forth in the very same verses. It's like past tense, future tense, all at the same time. Why? Because time is a created thing, Jeff. Time yes, was is. created. It had a beginning, yes. and it has an end. It has an end. But it's all in God's understanding, and in a more, say, Hebraic mindset, it's circular, it's intertwined, it's interconnected. Thus, why we say things like, the Messiah is Israel, and Israel is the Messiah. Now, that causes some people consternation, but the fact of the matter is, without one, you cannot have the other. So in the same way, without these events having occurred once as precursors to things to come again, if they didn't occur once, they wouldn't occur again. In other words, they're interrelated, they're pictures, there's types. So our temple, that is one indicia of an end-time culmination. Having said that, the opposition is a character, a place, a people who make their appearance at the beginning and they make their appearance at the end, circular. Mm. And this people group, this place, this geographic spot, they are known variously as Medo-Persians, Elamites. Today we call them Iranians. They are back again. But they are historically Persian. They are Persian, mm. right. And that's the thing about all prophecy, too, is when you, when you read who they're talking about. Sometimes it's not always that mm -hmm. clear, and some of it is speculation. Based on some of it, very good scholarship, yeah. but still surmising. Some of it's very specific. Mm -hmm. Persia plays a prominent role. Iran. It played a prominent role in the beginning, if you will, since the Persians took the Jews out at the destruction of the first temple. They play a prominent role at the end, opposing the third temple, which is very strange because when the Jews were brought east into the Persian Empire, first Babylon and then the Medo-Persians basically took that, Cyrus was called out by name sending them back. So mm. he did a good thing mm -hmm. out of Persia. Mm -hmm. Now in the culmination, however, they are playing the archetype of Israel and they are coming against it with warfare. So yeah. hang, hang on, you're saying that current day Iran is against the building of a third temple? Well, they are against Israel in all facets, which would include this one addition. I mean, that's why it gets hard to separate out. I mean, our topic was specifically the temple and is how important that is. Yeah. We wanted to stress yeah. that. And yeah. it's, it's this messianic expectation among mm -hmm. non-Christians, mm -hmm. Israelites, Israelis, Jews in the land, building it and looking for it and mm -hmm. searching out what it has to be be and do and what we need for it. And Iran is front and center in their opposition to Israel today. In what way? In a number of ways. One, verbally. They specifically said, we will wipe them out, we will destroy them, they are a cancer. Just every imaginable vulgar thing, they have no problem speaking out their disdain and hatred of Israel today. 
also they are against the U.S., which they hold equally the, the great in contempt. The great Satan. With the, the U.S. With the, that's exactly right, because we are aligned with Israel, and they are supporting all of these proxy armies, as they call them, which surround Israel today. They're known up to the north as Hezbollah. They are known in the ancient land of the Philistines, which nothing is new under the sun. They are Hamas, which means destruction, basically. That's Hamas. Mm. They support the, mother, the, 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 the Muslim Brotherhood. They support a number of these armies that literally have surrounded Israel today who are bent and dedicated to its destruction. So that's that's an example. But now you're saying, the, the thing I wanted to stress what you said, is you're saying that Iran is involved with Hamas, with Hezbollah. What, you're, that's what you're saying. Yes. How do you know that? Well, we know that just from... You can even look this up in our news. You don't have to search any sort of, and I say our news, I mean the mainstream press today about the enormous amount of funds and military know-how and troops. Uh, the Revolutionary Guard are the most famous of Iran, for instance, maybe the most radical or most elite group of Iran. They are all over the Middle East and literally surrounding literally surrounding Israel with either their own people, but their proxy armies who are taking their orders from Persia but how or do Iran. We, how do we know that? Well, we, we know this just from people who send us the reports. Mm-hmm. We know it from uh, just any TV source. You can easily just look up any source that you care to look up. It doesn't have to be a fringe source, if you will. This is not fringe news. This is mainstream news being reported that Iran supports Bashar Assad from Syria, which is, again, important because one of the wars talks about the complete and utter destruction of Damascus, which is in Syria today, which will come against Israel. So we see that it's important, Jeff, too, that Israel is surrounded, and I always think of it in these wars, Israel's had wars up till now where they cannot win. Mm-hmm. Their first war in '48, when yeah. they were declared a nation, yeah. legally, by the United Nations, yes. with far more land than they have today, the yes. United Nations gave them the land, but before that, the yes. League of Nations, and before that, white people. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games, that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And so on. Yeah. Nonetheless. I just want to make a point. White papers is not a reference to race. 
Oh, it's, white, it's called the white, white paper. Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's just <laughs> a term for a, term, a paper. A term of art. So don't anybody go there. Go ahead. Yeah. So nonetheless, <laughs> uh, what we have is that these wars that they should not have won, the War of Independence, if mm-hmm. you will, when they were surrounded by five armies, they mm-hmm. won. There was yeah. another campaign that, yeah. that none of these wars ever ended. They just had flare-ups, if you will. In 56, they had an, another uh, conflagration, if you will. We had the Six-Day War in, in, in the 60s. Yeah. It lasted six days, brutal. We had the 73 Yom Kippur War. We had the 82 incursion. No, it's never, it's had ebbs and flows, but it's, it, you can break them down into separate wars, which is kind of like these future battles. They ebb and flow, but they're distinct. And Israel still survives. So, so let's 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 kind of pause here because I want to move on. I want us to move on, but I, I, I want, I'm going to ask the listener a question right now. So you've heard Iran as Persia, who's an enemy of Israel historically, hates Israel. What's up with that? Why would they hate them? They must be significant. They must matter in some way, right? The Jews, Israel, must matter in some way for Iran to hate them, to want to destroy them. Why is a temple being built? What's driving that? If it's not God, who is it? Something is driving these people to meticulously and enthusiastically. And and there's there's, there's prophecy being expressed all the time from Jews about Israel going forward. If you add it up, folks, the current day, the present day, the current events of today prove something is up. Israel matters. The Middle East matters. It's a boiling pot. Neil talked about Gog and Magog and all the battles. It's waiting to explode. Why? Why does it matter? It's something you need to be thinking about. If you don't think it matters, if you think Israel is irrelevant, if you think the Jews are irrelevant, it's something for you to think about. Let us know what you think. You can go to Spreaker.com, Israel, why does the Middle East matter? There's an email there. Click on it. Let us know what you think. It's not for nothing, as they say in Manhattan. It's not for nothing. It's important. So, folks, we're going to take a little break here, short break, and we're going to come back and we're going to go, we're going to turn our attention back to Noah. We're going to begin our conversation about the four people that changed, that God used to change the world, without whom, if he didn't do it, we wouldn't be where we're at, those four people. We're going to begin with Noah. And uh, so we'll be back in a moment. Okay, we're back. And now we're turning our attention back to the Holy Scriptures. We identified in the last uh, episode, we identified five people in the Bible that matter in pivotal ways. Of course, there are many people that matter, but these five especially matter. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. The last time we talked about Adam, we had a great discussion about Adam in the fall. And we talked about the fact that 
because of that fall, God went into, he changed his line of work, if you like. Uh, he went into the redemption business after the fall. He cast Adam and Eve out. Since the sin of, since, since that, that sin of Adam and Eve, as I said, God moved into the redemption, the work of redemption. And that work of redemption in the Bible begins with Noah. So, Neil, who was Noah? And why was he important? Well, as you said, Jeff, Noah was one of the saviors of the world. He is a type of a savior of the world. Mm. Without Noah, there would be no humanity. Mm. So he was what the rabbis say in every generation, because you and I often talk about these epochs, and it's very important to realize the timeline, our time, which will come to an end, is divided up into epochs. During his epoch, the flood, he saved the world. Mm. He was pointing to as a type and a picture of the culmination, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why, why did uh, God pick Noah? Okay, so now we're going to get into some very interesting things. And one of the first things about Noah mm-hmm. is that the Bible says he was righteous in his generations. Mm-hmm. So... That's also a very interesting thing because in Christian thought, a lot of times we say nobody's righteous, no, not one, and all of these things, which also is true. Mm-hmm. However, there are these things that seemingly are hard to correlate sometimes, one of them being that Noah was referred to as righteous in his generations. Mm-hmm. So now you say, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What was going on at the time of Noah? that would make needing a righteous man important. Right. So then we have to say, okay, what does righteous mean? Why was that important? Well, I want to I know before you do that, what was going on in Noah's day that made needing a righteous man important? Correct. And that, that, that is exactly right. What, what was, going, was on? going on? Yeah. So his righteousness, what does that mean? Well, one thing we know that the earth at that day was evil, evil. with evil thoughts continually, All the time. was violence and bloodshed violence. continually. In the, in the gutter. It had come up as a stench to the Lord. In the moral, moral gutter. And, in the moral gutter. And God says he lamented. He yeah. regretted, regretted having made man yeah. at all. At all. Except he had in his generation, which yeah. is extremely important. I hope we t- develop this a little bit. Go ahead. His righteousness. Yeah. That God said, okay, I will save and start over. Start over. With this man. With this man. And his family. Because he has righteousness in his generations. And we're going to talk about, you know, I want to get to that. This is very val- it's the reason why he picked them, right? So the world was in the moral gutter. It was debauch to the max. It was just God, and God, it, you just said it, regretted having created people. He regretted it. He regretted it. He, he, and he wanted to say, I'm done. I'm done with this, basically. He said, I'm done with this. So he looked around. Is there anybody righteous? And there's old, there's little Noah. There's old Noah standing there. There's Noah. And Noah's, by God's definition, righteous. By righteous. And it's important to realize in that, uh, we've referenced this before, it's, it's, it's known as the Olivet Discourse, but Jesus himself, when asked, he referenced back to Noah specifically he he and did. said, 
what will it be like in the end of days? That's a term we've talked before. Yeah. It, it's a it's a period, yeah. end of days, a culmination. Yeah. And Jesus said, among a great many things, but one of the things he referenced back to and hearkened back to was, as it was in the days of, of Noah. Noah. That it will be like that before the Son of Man, referring to himself, mm-hmm. comes again. Mm. So this is where it's really important to start digging up some of these references. Where does it first reference these sort of strange episodes of why it was so evil? What was so bad? How can it correlate to our day at the culmination if Jesus is saying it comes full circle? Yeah. Yeah. And that's important because, as we always try to stress, it is not so linear as much as circular, intertwined, interwoven. You can't have one without the other. Well, without Noah, we couldn't have Jesus. Without Noah saving the world in his day, we couldn't have Jesus saving the world in his day. These are types and pictures that are interwoven, interconnected. So what does it say about Noah's relationship with God? What, 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 what was going on there? Okay, so one of the really uh, difficult passages of the Bible is mm-hmm. Genesis 6 and 4, where it talks about specifically uh, that Noah was righteous. It also, some versions say pure. Now, this is where it goes into some difficult passages of interpretation. It says specifically, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and afterward as well. The Nephilim. The Nephilim. Nephilim. So, right. im is plural. Is plural. It's a plural ending. Is plural ending. Yep. And it says here, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and afterward as well, when the sons of God had relations with the daughters of men. The sons of God had relations with the daughters of men. And they bore them children who became the mighty men of old, men of renown. Now, that verse, Jeff, is just absolutely ripe with meaning and nuance and you could even say speculation. Where is that in the in the Genesis? Where that is in Genesis six four, Genesis where it specifically okay. talks about okay. that. So here's okay. where our issue becomes: What does it mean that Noah was righteous or pure in his generation? And what's happening at that time that caused such violence, hatred, murder, evil continually? That Messiah would reference it would be that same sort of environment again in the end of days. And so it's important to look at those and start parsing those words out. So (laughs) so there's basically three opinions as far as what Nephilim mean, but the word Nephilim means fallen ones. Fallen ones, And in the uh, Bible, there's plenty of evidence and allusion to the fact that what it could mean, and many would say absolutely does mean, is its plain literal meaning, the sons of God... The angelic host, who in the New Testament, both Second Peter and Jude reference as having left their first estate. These are fallen, rebellious angels. Going back to Genesis, they had relations with women. They looked on them and lusted after them and rebelled, and they had offspring. They had Nephilim, also translated throughout the Bible as Giants. Giants. Giants in mm-hmm. the land. Mm-hmm. And we see that reference to giants throughout. Yeah, where, uh, there's a particular place, though, in Exodus? Correct. There's yeah. many places throughout. Yeah. But the famous, of course, would be when the spies, if you will, yeah. were yeah. going to enter the land of Canaan, Canaan yeah. where these various 
offspring in tribes, Rephaim, Zezuim, and different types are offspring of Nephilim, the fallen ones, mm-hmm. this this impure mating, if you will, that mm. produced these beings that were evil, mm. that were hybrid. Mm. So that's where a, a lot of people come down, especially in these days, as to what that meaning meant. So then you say, well, what did that reference to Noah them being pure? And so what some people would say, and what makes a lot of sense to me, is he was not tainted in his DNA by this union of these spiritual watchers. So righteous in his generations means that he had none of that DNA, none of that in his lineage. It could definitely mean that. And as you look into the Mm -hmm. the occurrences Mm -hmm. of that phrase, sons of God, Mm -hmm. you can see where it's referenced. It's referenced a a handful of times, I think three or four times in Job, Mm. one of which specifically, specifically, where it references sons of God, says when Job at the end was was wondering why all this catastrophe had happened and starts questioning God, God says, where were you Mm. when I created all of this Mm. snow globe, as I call Mm -hmm. it, this universe, Mm. and the sons of God sang for joy? Mm. Well, that pretty much, to me, says, well, if he's using that term, sons of God, it's spiritual sons of God, because there were no humans singing for joy when God made it. So it was these fallen sons of God. Another occasion, it says the sons of God God came before God and presented themselves, and Satan was among them. That's Mm. at the beginning of Job. Again, that reference, sons of God. Well, definitely not humans there. Mm. So therefore? Therefore, when it says in Genesis 4, before the flood, when he's getting Noah prepared, that it was that unnatural mating, that unnatural union between the people, these created spiritual entities, these watchers who were never supposed to leave their first estate and have union with humans, did, and that's what turned the earth all perverse and corrupted and tainted, except for Noah. The Nephilim, uh, it says in Genesis 6, that they existed and continue to exist afterwards. I don't know if you made that point or not. That's a powerful point, right? That's an extremely powerful point. How can that be? Because a lot of people will read right past that. First, a lot of people won't put the connection that there was a supernatural union. Second, if they even do that, they read right past that part that says they were in the earth in those days Mm -hmm. and afterward. And afterward? After what? After what? The flood. Well... Something occurred. They were there and they were after. And so there was the flood and people assume and say, well, everything was wiped out, but for righteous Noah and his family. Well, it specifically says these Nephilim, whomever and whatever they were, and we're just trying to make the point they could be a lot more of a um, hybrid being than at first blush you might read into it. Well, you said they're they're called the fallen ones. They're the fallen ones. And so fallen from where? Exactly. Fallen from what? Exactly. So what could that be? What could they have fallen from From, to be called a fallen? Fallen ones. Right. And where do we see them again? Well, again, as we started this and alluded to briefly, the Bible is full of allusions to giants. And, of course, the most famous... The most famous is David fighting Goliath, and if you read about how big he was, and if we take it at face value and don't allegorize it, he was a giant. 
But the Bible references many, many, many places of giants, including, as we said, in Exodus when they were spying out the land and they came back and they gave a true report. It's just it was called an evil report, but it was true. They said there are giants and we're grasshoppers. So if you allegorize it and say, well, they were just saying how powerful they were, okay, you can do that, but it's, in my view, inconsistent with saying these Nephilim, these hybrid beings, had offspring and they were Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Giants. So, for instance, there is one very famous character in the Bible... He's known as one of David's mighty men. It's in Chronicles. And it reports where he's done amazing deeds, Jeff. One of the amazing deeds he did is he slayed, he slew an Egyptian. This Egyptian was at least seven and a half feet tall. Uh-huh. And he slew him. Uh-huh. And it talks about his weaponry. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Mm. You know what, though? It doesn't refer to him as a giant. Mm. This guy was seven and a half feet tall. So giants were bigger than that. (laughs) Well, Goliath was bigger than that and some of the other references to giants. So the point here is not to debate are we 100% correct in all of our conclusions, but it could be a lot stranger in the culminating days of our day that Jesus said would be like those days. So Jesus said, uh, Neil, that uh, in the end times it will be like the times of Noah. And in First Timothy, I'm sorry, Second Timothy, uh, it talks about those conditions, and I want to get to that in a moment. What God's response was to the terrible, terrible things that were going on in Noah's time was that Noah, as you said a minute ago, regretted having even created man. It says, it says in verse six in Genesis six that the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. And then God said what he's going to do. He said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds in the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them, that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord because Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his time and he walked with God. So Noah found this, uh, God found this figure in Noah whom he could work through, right? Because he, he's decided he's going to destroy it all and start over. But he doesn't destroy it all. He picks a man and a family and a group of people through which to begin again. Right. And that man is Noah. And, and if it wasn't right. for Noah, if it wasn't for Noah's existence, we wouldn't be here. No, he was, as we said, he was the Messiah of his epoch. 
So, again, Jewish thought, in every generation there is both a messiah or messiahs, and in every generation there is a an anti-messiah. In every generation, and Noah was the messiah of his generations. And we see him listed in Hebrews in what is known as the Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith, Because yeah. he believed. Yeah. He said, God said something completely bizarre, yeah. build an ark. He had no idea about a flood as far as we know. We don't know anything that he would know that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But he just said, yes, sir. And that's what he did. Uh, But but I want to equate what Jesus was saying. And everybody's, I think many of our listeners have heard this before. But why did he start over? Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy about a description of what that was. Jesus said it will be the same in the latter days as it was with Noah. So Paul is writing, in the latter days, this is what it will be like, and this is what Paul says. So this is what it was also like in the days of Noah because there's nothing new under the sun, right? Paul says, I realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. So that's the way it will be, and that's the that's where we're headed as a people, if we're not already there. If we're not already there, correct. Yeah, so there is nothing new under the sun, as you've reiterated again, and that's very important. As Jesus also said, right? as, as it he, will be the same. It's a, it's a circular intertwining. Yeah. And so we see that Noah then was, in fact, a precursor yes. and a savior, yes. a messiah. A he messiah. was not the messiah, no. but he was a Messiah who saved the world yes, in his epoch. Yes, he did. And God God had a plan. We talk about the unfolding plan. So God looked at the way things were. As you say, the, the world got polluted and morally polluted, and it just lost itself. And God recognized that, you know, Noah, who walked with him, says he walked with him. He was, he was obedient to God. He was a righteous man. He did what God asked him to do. And God said, there's my solution. Yeah, it seems as though God is saying that mankind is incapable of discerning between good and evil. Yeah. They're calling evil good and good evil, and they cannot discern it. It's just evil continually. But I'm certain in their minds, just like we see plenty of people today doing evil, they call it good. They do. They call it good. And that's the upside-downness of the morality that uh, seems to be evolving in our society. In our society. And we see as well that from Noah and his life as a type of Messiah, we get what's called also the Noahide laws. And as Christians, we can look at those and say, well, I accept all of those Noahide laws as far as that goes. Uh, They're pretty straightforward. But we see them basically again being reiterated in the book of Acts that we've talked about before a number of times. Jerusalem Council. Which again just shows the whole circularity and the contiguous, unbroken, uninterrupted, non-schizophrenic Old Testament compatible with the New Testament. 
It's an amazing thing, and I don't think anyone li- really makes that connection. But when you pointed it out to me, I went, of course. The Noitic laws are the laws that the Gentiles were required to follow. Correct, yes, and because God does have a certain standard that only he judges by, but there's a standard nonetheless. Now, as we go forward, we'll talk about how he gave more specific instruction and, and detail as to what he liked and didn't like, even in the New Testament we read where Paul tells his converts from the nations, the Gentiles, how to behave and how not to behave. And, of course, we read that today and say, oh, my goodness, were they really doing that and calling it right and normal? Yes, they were. Mm. They weren't taught. So God progressively teaches and instructs to a time of a future culmination when Messiah comes back, and he will continue to teach and instruct because right now, Jeff, as we've said before, which again can be hard for some people to comprehend at first blush, we are in a partial fulfillment of the new covenant. Mm. It is not complete yet. No, it's not. It's a partial revelation. There is much more revelation and events, as we talked about in the first part of the broadcast, to occur that when they occur, it will be in the most natural, seemingly, of circumstances. Mm. However, it will be strange Mm. but familiar. Yes, it will. It will be familiar in that I read something about that, Mm. but the fulfillment will be awfully strange. strange. So both are true. Both are true. So Noah's role... In the, in, the, in the history of humanity was to save the world. God used Noah to save the world. He was a Messiah, a type of Messiah, a deliverer, right? He was a deliverer. He was a righteous man. He followed... Now, if you read the account, and I, folks, I recommend very strongly that you read the account of Noah and what he actually had to go through, what he did, was no easy task. It was an amazing feat what Noah did. And, of course, he was strengthened by God to do it. I mean, there's a lot of things we don't know specifically and can surmise and conjecture. Uh, and it could be very well, well correct. But the, yeah. the, the, the point, I think, that needs to be made is that Noah emphatically obeyed and it was credited to him as righteousness, as it was righteousness. to obey, to hear. Yeah. He heard and he obeyed, which is what throughout Scripture... Even when God later gives more elaborate and detailed instructions as how to behave and what to do and temple sacrifices and so on, he always says, to hear my voice and to obey is the best. It's the highest. Yeah. doesn't do away with any of the yeah. others. Yeah. He just says, that gives me total delight. And that's what we see Noah did. He heard and he obeyed. That's quite amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. So when God tells him he's bringing floods upon the earth to destroy all flesh, to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life exists, which he placed, we talked about this in the last episode, that God places, places the breath of life in us, and God's going to destroy that, uh, and, and, and all of it under heaven, and everything that is on the earth shall perish. And then he tells, tells Noah he's going to establish a covenant with Noah, which, which is an amazing thing. After it's all done, God calls Noah and his family out of the ark, and he establishes a covenant with Noah. So the first covenant was, you can eat from any tree in the garden, 
Except for that one. Or you will die. Or you will die. But that they didn't even know what death was. They didn't even know what death was. And they found out what death was. <laughs> and now the whole earth has gone basically back, you know, right down into the gutter. And God is using Noah to save it. It's a, redemp- it's a redemption of, in a sense, but it's a salvation for sure. He's saving the earth and he makes a covenant with Noah afterwards. He absolutely does. And it's important for us to just emphasize and re-emphasize that he was a Messiah in every generation. And that should be encouraging to some people is that your actions, your deeds today, your, your thoughts, they can either be messianic, meaning I'm in line with God, I hear and obey, sort of hearkening back to the Shema, hear, O Israel, hear, hear, you must hear, hear, O Israel. He heard and he obeyed. And you can be, by hearing the voice of God and obeying, a type of Messiah in the fact that you were created in God's image and you are doing Doing the will of God. The will of God. The will of God. So God starts over with Noah's family, right? And he begins with righteousness, someone who is following him. He starts over with that. And he makes this covenant with Noah and his sons. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the cattle and every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. And this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. And uh, he said he will never again strike the ground with a curse. And uh, so, yeah, God, it's just just this this amazing do-over with Noah and through Noah. And if it doesn't happen, we don't exist. Friends, I hope that that, that you've enjoyed this episode. We talked a little bit about uh, current events and how just the fact that these things are happening in the present day prove that Israel is important and and the Middle East is important. But then we we said we were going to talk about the the progression of how God moves in history. And Noah was the first, uh, if you like, Messiah that God used to deliver us from absolute destruction. And uh, next time we talk, uh, we're going to talk about Abraham. We might spend more than one episode on Abraham. He's a big deal, uh, obviously. Noah Noah was a, a, a... just a wonderful story, and I've 
I've really come to really value the story of Noah. I recommend that you read the story of Noah and that you understand it now in a way that's, he's a critical part of history. If without Noah, you and I don't exist. So thank you folks for, for listening uh, today. And it's, it's really been great to be with you again. Uh, uh, please uh, share this podcast with your friends, Spreaker.com. Israel, why is the Middle East important? You can go to our Spreaker.com page, uh, click on an email address there to get to, to get to know us. We also are, we're on Facebook, also on Facebook, Facebook.com. Why is the Middle East important? That's the that's the Facebook.com address. So you can go on Facebook, you can see our our uh, our uh, episodes there, and you can interact with Neil and I if you have questions. Uh, and you want to just chat about it? It's it's right there, right there on Facebook. Why is the Middle East important? So uh, we look forward to hearing from you. We're grateful for your listening. Uh, we're here to help. We're not here to control or, or mandate or, pre- or or preach in any way. We're here to help. We're creating a discussion over coffee that we hope is uh, valuable to you, so that you understand why the Middle East is important. So take care, my friends. We'll see you next time. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.